Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Noise in Brief, PR Week UK's new fortnightly podcast series. I'm John Harrington, the editor of PR Week UK. Noise in Brief is an offshoot of our Beyond the Noise podcast. For this one, we'll be analysing the biggest news stories in the industry from the past week or so in a more bite-sized format. Joining me today is PR Week UK news editor Siobhan Holt and reporters Eliza Radu and Evie Barrett. Just as the first edition of this new podcast went live, we had the shocking news that Francis Ingham, Director General of the PRCA, had very sadly died. We wanted to reflect a bit on this news and the many tributes we've seen from across the industry to Francis. Francis was in charge of the PRCA for 16 years and was really seen, I think, as the driving force behind its growth in terms of expanding membership, moving into different countries and branching out to think of its merger with the public affairs body, the APPC. He also headed ECO, of course, the umbrella body for the PR associations in different countries. I mean, I'd known Francis for about eight and a half years, I think. I know that the others here wouldn't have known him for that long, but my impression was that he was quite a doer, actually. He knew his mind. He would speak it. 
who was a clear communicator. And you tended to know his position on things, I found, even if you didn't necessarily agree with him on everything. You know, if you look back at some of the statements he made on Bell Pottinger, you can see what I mean there. More recently, he's had a really prominent voice on Ukraine in terms of its comms efforts and was credited as leading from the front when it came to reacting to COVID when that first arrived. You know, it's not to say there weren't criticisms about how the PRCA operated. And there was famously the governance review that started last September, which is yet to report. I know that's an issue for another day, but for now, I just wanted to say that our, our thoughts are mainly of Francis, his colleagues and the PRCA and all his family and his friends in the industry. Personally, while I didn't always agree with Francis, I always found him friendly, courteous and helpful, particularly when I first started at PR Week and I was very sad to, to learn the news. Do we know what's happening next with the PRCA? I think it's probably too early to expect any major announcements, really. Obviously, I mentioned the governance review that was due to report in March initially. I think we can still expect that to come out. The PRCA board will be looking at the results even more closely, I think, to hopefully provide some kind of blueprint, really, for how the organisation might operate in the future. As I say, it's one for another day and we will see. Okay, so moving on to news from the past week. We've started to get some insights into the gender pay gaps at some big agencies. Siobhan, you've been looking at this. What can you tell us? At this time of year, a number of agencies will start releasing their gender pay gap information because it's a legal requirement. So the UK government back in April 2017 introduced regulations for businesses with 250 or more employees. They had to report their gender pay gap information on an annual basis. So at the moment, WPP have released theirs. In their report, which according to their stats, women make up 55% of their workforce and men make up 45%. The report shows that while some of the agencies improved their gender pay gaps in 2022, for the majority, the pay gap has widened. However, if we look at Hill and Knowlton, their data actually outperforms WPP as a whole. So a higher proportion of women than men received a bonus over the year. Men's mean bonus pay was 10.5% higher than women's. And if we look at the median pay gap difference, that was 6%. And the mean gender pay gap difference was 10.5%. Interesting. How does that compare to the previous year at H&K? Looking at the data, it looks as though the gap has widened. However, there has been some positive news that the bonus for women has increased. At the point of recording, though, we have to say that H&K hadn't been able to provide a comment. But it does appear as though it could be down to that more women have been employed, possibly. So this could be one of the reasons, maybe. And obviously, we have seen that across the board at other agencies. Yeah, I mean, this is the point, really. As an agency, if you're employing more junior staff who happen to be women, Mm. then that's going to affect particularly the mean gender pay gap. So it could be, as you say, that the fact there have been a lot of staff being brought into agencies in recent times, reacting to the fact that the market has been picking up. It would be interesting to sort of have a look at that in more detail. And obviously, this is something that every agency will need to keep a close eye on. Absolutely, yeah. And over the next few days, we're going to be getting a lot more results. So it's one that people can keep an eye on. Yeah. And it's worth sort of referring back to our previous podcast, the Beyond the Noise one for International Women's Day, where we spoke to some senior women in the industry who were talking about issues around career progression for some women in the sector. And it links to lots of other issues such as parental leave and the culture at different agencies and so on. Okay, moving on. One of the biggest business stories in recent days has focused on John Lewis. Some high profile criticism of its controversial plan to change its famous employee ownership structure. 
Evie, you've been looking into this, uh, engaging some views. What can you tell us? Yeah, so Mary Portas made headlines this week for writing quite a strongly worded open letter to John Lewis, which she posted on LinkedIn. She said that the business is part of British identity, but that it's let go of its soul a bit lately and that it's at risk of going under as a result. So I spoke to some retail PR experts to ask them what they think the right move is from a branding perspective now. Some of them were against the recent discussions that John Lewis has made and thought that it's known for being an honourable retailer. So to step away from this would just be a bad decision. It was also mentioned the fact that John Lewis has stopped working with Adam and Eve, the ad agency. So I think that speaks to the larger identity issue and the fact that John Lewis was sort of known for creating the Christmas ad movement. And since then, it's sort of slowed down a bit in terms of what it's done next. I think the general consensus was that what's missing really from John Lewis is innovation and that it doesn't necessarily need to lose its core values, but that it needs to adapt and become relevant again. I think there's this thing of clinging on to the past with a lot of quintessential British brands, but that we can't always just take the emotional line and stick to what we know. One of the people I spoke to said that changing the employee ownership model could be perceived as not doing the right thing by customers, but that actually it might be the best business decision going forwards. And it's an interesting question, isn't it? Because it does feel like it's such a sort of quintessential British brand that a lot of people got a lot of affection for. And it's probably one of those things that emotionally we don't want it to change. You know, we want it to just sort of always be there as part of our sort of collective consciousness that it's a lovely ethical organisation with a lovely structure. But as you say, there's the cold, hard realities when you've got competition from Amazon and lots and lots of other online retailers in particular, and you've got rising costs sometimes some things have got to give so I totally agree I think it's about that balance between maintaining what people like about it but also finding a way to work in a practical basis in a sort of cutthroat economy so whichever way they choose to go I think could end up frustrating some people but certainly from a branding and comms perspective it's one heck of a challenge so good luck for whoever is working on that. I think employee ownership is an interesting one because obviously we've seen a lot of PR agencies turned to that sort of structure in the past year or so and it seems to be working quite well for them but obviously if one of the biggest most well-known employee-owned brands in the UK is potentially suffering as a result of that then there could be lessons to be learned from that we'll have to see. And to another topic TikTok's been in the news quite a lot recently including calls for you know potential ban in the UK and in the US obviously we know TikTok has been a huge focus for creative campaigns in recent times. Eliza, you've been looking at this topic. What could it mean for comms professionals, do you think? So the US government has been talking about outlawing TikTok for a while now. And in the UK, TikTok has already been banned for official government devices. This is all due to fears over the Chinese government and the tech company harvesting data. However, when I spoke to a few of the creative professionals, we found that brands have always been sceptical of TikTok and are always sceptical of new social medias at the start. Yeah, I think TikTok's an interesting one because it really sort of blew up around the time of lockdown. And I think since then, brands have been really trying to adapt their approach because it's so different to other social medias in terms of its algorithm and that kind of thing. So I think it will be difficult to transition onto another platform now. I know we sort of see social media come and go, but TikTok seems to have really blown up in a major way, unlike a lot of other platforms. So I think it'll be difficult to replicate that elsewhere. 
actually campaigns have existed before TikTok and I think they will still exist after the death of the app. When TikTok was launched, many brands were reluctant to use it at first, but now it's an integral part of many social media strategies. I think brands will reluctantly return to Meta and start using platforms like Facebook and Instagram again. There's also been criticisms over the privacy concerns over TikTok, mainly because Western-owned companies are also deserving of equal scrutiny. Interestingly, a few weeks ago, we had Rob Mayhew, then of Fleischmann Hillard, um, who oversaw their uh, influencer work. He's a TikTok influencer. You may have seen him. He was kind of extolling the virtues of TikTok and saying that sort of put the joy back into social media again. And it really feels like the sort of drive towards TikTok has been absolutely huge for influencer experts and sort of people in creative roles in, in comms. So social media sites sort of come and go and you look at Clubhouse that was briefly huge and then sort of disappeared. And I give many other examples, but it feels like TikTok has been part of brands and PR's sort of strategy for quite a lot of time. So I don't know, I suspect there might be a bit of an adjustment and a bit of a concern about these curbs on on the use of TikTok. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens if TikTok does get banned especially with the creative spaces, but only time will tell. Okay, now it's time for our usual top and flop section where we look at comms hits and misses of the past week or so. I'm going to dive straight into top. Our top this week is Aldi um, for its adult breakfast club scheme. Now, Aldi announced on Monday it was donating 10 tonnes of cereal and 5,000 gallons of milk to food banks and schools working with a charity. That's all well and good, and several supermarket groups have been promoting schemes that address rising food costs and child hunger in particular. Asda and Tesco's have done so notably. Tesco's actually this week launched a £5 million grant campaign for extra food and healthy activities at schools. But back to Aldi. I mean, I really respect the way Aldi found a fresh angle for their comms in this campaign. Focus as adults as well as children. You see, research for the campaign found nearly... Half of parents from low-income families are skipping meals to ensure their children can eat. I think these are, these are quite shocking figures, really, and it's also a very strong news angle. So as such, the story has been covered in The Sun, The Mirror, among several other titles. And kudos to BCW, by the way, which was working on the campaign. What do you all think of, of this campaign and how sort of supermarkets have been handling their comms around price rises and the inevitable cost of living crisis? I think this campaign is amazing, mainly because it focuses on a demographic that's often forgot about. Normally, adults are working and you assume that they have enough money to feed themselves and feed their children. However, in these hard economic times, sometimes parents prioritise their children over themselves. And it's really nice to see a supermarket looking out for these adults as well. It's the sort of the novelty element really as well, isn't it? You know, we're used to the usual angles and it's all fine, but you start to turn it like that. As a journalist, there's something to grab onto. And I think I think they did that really well. On to flop, um, Eliza. Premier League teams have been called out for taking multiple short haul flights this week. BBC Sport recently found evidence of 81 domestic flights made by the Premier League teams with the shortest flight being 
only 27 minutes. This is really surprising because they only looked at two months. The Premier League did tell BBC Sport that it recognises that it needs to take action and they are working on a sustainability committee. However, the recent news is quite shocking and a lot of people have been quite upset that they're taking these short flights. Some fans stand behind the Premier League team arguing that celebrities and politicians do the same thing. So it's a very difficult one. And it's quite interesting as well, because I think it's only been in the last week or so that France have announced that they've cancelled the ability to fly to some internal cities so you can only get there either by road or rail. So I think it sort of really highlights how our country needs to look at our internal systems, that these are the options that the premiership teams are taking. But as you say, it's really shocking since we've just had a recent UN climate report that this is coming out. It really reflects badly on the Premier League. I think it's some of these stats that are quite shocking as well. 27 minutes. And I know, and we're not a huge country as well. I mean, I know going from Northumbria to Penzance is probably quite a long journey. I'm not sure there are any Premier League journeys that are that (laughs) team to team that are that, that long. But it's, I just feel that it's just such a, it's such a bad look. And it's kind of, if we can't handle this as England, how can we expect other countries, you know, the States, Australian, you know, name name a country that's much, much bigger than ours, yeah. where the sports teams play each other all the time. It feels like we should be taking a lead on this and the Premier League should be taking a lead on this and they're not. So it feels like we all need to be doing our bit and it feels like the Premier League um, isn't at this moment. Yeah, I don't think there's really any justification for it. And I think the response that they gave that recognising the fact they need to take action is the only really acceptable response that they could have given, to be honest. Yeah. For me, it just stresses the us versus them nature of the Premier League, how out of touch they are. The idea that, you know, if you're travelling from London to, let's say, Manchester, or not even that far, Mm. that you would take a plane. And for most people, those sorts of journeys most certainly wouldn't. So even aside from the environment issue, I I think it's, it's not great, unfortunately. Okay, so that's it for this episode. Noise and Brief goes out every two weeks, so we'll be back in the second week of April. In the meantime, look out for our Beyond the Noise podcast next week. Thanks to Siobhan, Eliza and Evie, and thanks to you for listening. Goodbye.